The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. Well, ho, ho, ho. We have reached the weekend, and that is not any ordinary weekend. That is no Christmas weekend. Happy holidays, uh, Merry Christmas, and we are here with a Big Fight Weekend preview. Now, normally, we have fights to preview, so even though the show is called a preview, we don't really have a worldwide fight of interest for this weekend, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a lot on the show. I am the somewhat capable host. He is our insider, Fight Freaks Unite Substack, and also the Big Fight Weekend website. Our content partner is Dan Raphael, back aboard for a pre-Christmas edition. Two shows left, two previews left in the calendar year. We were going to be here, peeps. We're not going to leave you hanging. We were going to be here. We have a show. The show is out uh, for Christmas weekend. Uh, First of all, how are you? How are things? Everything good? I'm good. And actually, considering there are no fights in the world of any consequence, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about, and we got a good interview, which I'm sure you're going to do. We do. We're going to hear from Demetrius Andre, the former WBO uh, world middleweight champ, unbeaten. He's on the undercard of this Gervonta Davis pay-per-view that's coming just in a couple of weeks. It'll be here before we know it. Dan got a one-on-one with him. You'll hear that conversation in a few moments. We got news uh, and a lot to cover. Uh, typically, we are here on Fridays with a preview out on Friday morning for the weekend to set the table. That will always be the case. We just don't have fights on Christmas weekend, on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. That is unless Rocky Drago gets put in a DVD player, right, or a Blu-ray. That can be your Christmas Day uh, fight uh, between uh, Rocky and Drago in Russia, which was actually Vancouver, British Columbia, as Barry Tompkins has told us on the uh on the podcast before instead of christmas day it was actually july in vancouver but nonetheless uh we are here go further hold on so i always hear from people what's your what's the best rocky movie and a lot of people say it's rocky four which is the movie with rocky and drago Drago, right follow creed and to maybe start a little bit of an argument here i'm not sure what your favorite rocky movie is because we've not ever we have not pre-rehearsed this you're hitting me off the cuff but i have to say as much as i love Rocky four. I always have to go with Rocky three and the big, uh, the big fight with <laughs> Mr. Clover Lang, Jay, Clover Lang. And, and the, the death of Mickey and, uh-huh. and, and the uh, Apollo training Rocky at the end. And I, I the know. Tiger, that incredible montage. It is, it is not unlike you and me figuratively on this podcast, running slow motion down the beach and then hugging and jumping up and down in, in okay, knee high socks, knee high socks. Ne- make the moment. Yes. We have never run up and down the beach. <laughs> Never hugged. I've I've not worn high socks since probably like junior high. I don't know that I've worn them since elementary school. The knee high socks, but they make you've actually ruined my day with the image of us uh, (laughs) hugging in the in the ocean on the beach. I'm gonna first of all, first of all, Rocky is an Academy Award winning film. The first one. All right, I'm into the I'm into the action of Rocky three, but in terms of the storyline with Adrian and he's taken on the the Muhammad Ali character Apollo Creed. There's nothing better than the original. The original. The original has got to stand out. I, I, I go, I'm, I partial, go with I'm actually partial to the second one for the ending because you got to admit, we're both elementary age. We're contemporaries. We're elementary age in the early 1980s when the second one comes out. Who saw it coming double knockdown in the final round? And, and the great Stu Nahan, the late legendary broadcaster, is in the background going, if neither man gets up, it's a draw, and Creed keeps the title. While they're count- Oh, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. So and for I the still- pure ending, it's the second one, I would submit. 
on Rocky II. And for the overall film, my personal favorite, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Right. I love all the films except Rocky V, which now shall not be talked about. But <laughs> Rocky Three, you first of all, Rocky One and Rocky Two, you had the first fight and then the second fight with Apollo. Rocky Three, you get the first fight and the second fight with Creed, uh, or with uh, Clubber Lang rather, in in the same film. Plus, you got Thunderlips played by Hulk Hogan. <laughs> you got the death of Mickey. You got some of the greatest film lines of all time. You know what's your prediction? Pain. Pain. I mean, you know, or you Creed got, looking got, at him in the gym. There is no tomorrow. And exactly. It's there is no tomorrow. He pulls. He pulls. Uh, Rocky pulls Paulie into the, into the, into the. Uh, Can into he the swim? Water. Can he swim? Remember that? And, Can he swim? <laughs> of course. And by the way, like literally the greatest opening, like I don't know what it was, five or ten minutes of a film, maybe ever, Rocky or otherwise, the opening montage of what he's been doing in his championship reign since he beat uh, Apollo in the rematch. And it's juxtaposed where he's making, you know, appearances on the Muppet show and holding right, credit right. cards and all the, all movies, the money, all the money, all the gifts, the money. By the way, we're just making, but, out, making but, out, hold on, making out with the wife in the, in the I case. understand, but and then, we, you got, we, then you got, then you got Clubber training like an animal. In the I basement. know ready to go, but we've made a quantum leap while we digress because Rocky goes from being illiterate in Rocky two to suddenly being a savvy Businessman, very educated, very well spoken, doing the commercials, having business meetings. Stallone, Hollywood, just, baby. it's Hollywood. It's made the. We could anyway, do a whole podcast. We should. I know we probably podcast. should, but we're doing. We, part we digress. Of it right now. This was not planned either. By this the way. was not planned, but this is good. Just, just come back one more time. The ending of Rocky Two that nobody saw that kind of ending coming, where they both go down on a double punch and hit the ground. Stallone wrote that, and they had to be going crazy behind the scenes on what an ending this is. That who's going to get up, who's going to survive, and as Apollo would later say Wait, in on. the third one, you beat me by one second. That's very difficult. For, what does he say? For a man of my stature to my live with, you my intelligence, you beat me by one second. He but stood here's up. The thing. So the ending of fight one, I think, was unexpected because he lost. Where a lot of people thought he would have won because that's the Hollywood ending, but he lost. So that was a little bit of a plot twist. You make the great point about the second fight. The third fight, remember, all leading up to when Apollo agreed to train Rocky was him saying, you remember, you owe me a favor. And they kept building that in the filming. You didn't know what it was going to be. Then all of a sudden he wins in the rematch with uh, Clubber Lang and they go to the gym and you're like, what's going on? And he's like, I want you got to fight me close the doors and it ends with that you know them throwing the simultaneous punch and the incredible uh what they turned into a Leroy Neiman hard yeah. work I mean that was an that was an unexpected ending I mean the only one that was completely expected was when he goes to Russia and kicks Drago's ass in the fourth one and so that was as expected as could be I understand some great stuff reminiscing about Rocky and again it came up because the Drago fight is allegedly on Christmas Day I mean, allegedly. So, what's the what's the Christmas? Uh, all right, but I mean, I'm just saying that the fourth, you know, the fourth one. Uh, what's the date of the fight? December 25th. Why Christmas, Rocky? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas. Uh, so anyway, uh, all right. So we've digressed. By the way, thank you for finding us on this podcast. However, you found us. Social media link. Uh, from us, Big Fight Weekend, Dan's uh, Substack, Dan's social media. Thank you for finding us. Make sure that you're following or subscribing because you're always going to get great content like this, including he and I mixing it up. I can't get the visual of knee-high socks out of my head oh, uh, right now. Uh, from them running up and down on the beach where he's finally able to race Apollo uh, and beat him. 
but in any event, uh, thank you. Follow, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Tell them, tell them how they're going to know they get a new podcast, just like they did in this case if they were following and subscribing. What do they get? They get, TJ, a banner, a bell, a light, a ding. Don't forget the vibration. They get a vibration. vibration. Something. You get, all, you get one of those five. I actually get, I think, more than one of those five when it comes to me because I subscribe. I get the light. I get the vibration that tells me new podcast, new podcast from Big Fight Weekend. So make sure you're following or subscribing. And they need to rate us and review us. Are we going to bribe them with something? Do we want to let them in on this for the holidays or Christmas or we're going to make them wait? Let's bribe them with something else to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can rate us and review us. Give us a five-star review. Take a screenshot of that review. Tag Big Fight Weekend. Tag Dan. We're going to give something away to somebody that reviews us and takes yes. a screenshot of your review. Do we want to reveal what it is? You want to keep it a secret for the holidays? We'll keep it one more because I got to figure out exactly what it is. I know, right. I know what the general thing is, but I got to figure yeah. out the exact. Word. I know what this is, and it's, it's pretty cool. cool. It's yeah. different, and it's cool, and you have a lot of them, and that's why you're mentioning that you got to figure out which one it is. It is a cool item, and it'll probably be the similar to when I gave away the key cards. I'll probably right. pick like a couple, two or three. You know what I mean? Different ones. You're going to give two or three items away to somebody. Yeah, why not? All right. Rate us, review us, take a screenshot, tag Big Fight Weekend, tag Dan. We'll get to some of those. We want to see more ratings and reviews under Apple Podcasts. Give us the five-star review, and let's go. Let's get into it. We'll hear from Demetrius Andre in a few minutes. First, some news uh, for this week. Unfortunate news with the passing of somebody I know you're very familiar with from working. What did I see you write? In his obituary recap, 200 world championship fights. Is that what you wrote? Approximately 200 of them for Steve Smoger. Uh, primarily in the Northeast is where he worked a lot of these fights, but he also worked worldwide. Dan, pick it up as Steve uh, passed away after an illness this week. And this is the second referee recently with the legendary Mills Lane that we've had pass away. Yeah, not a good uh, month for a great referee. Steve Smoger, one of the best of all time. He's in the Boxing Hall of Fame, was inducted uh, you know, a few years ago. Had a had a had a refereeing career of 35 years, and also had been a, uh, a started out doing um, amateur boxing as a as an official in the amateur ranks, mainly in the Atlantic City area. Uh, started to referee, you know, later on in the in the early 1980s, um, and just 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 the kind of like Mills Lane because you when you knew he was in the ring, you knew that it was going to be a fair fight. He was going to give the guys the opportunity to bring the fight to its natural conclusion. He didn't take any shit from anybody in the ring. Um, he was a bit of a, a showman. He had some, he had a bit of a flair to him, a dramatic flair, the way Mills did, you know, to me, uh, my, and I knew Steve, I, I never really got to know Mills Lane. I met him maybe once or twice. I know his sons cause they're involved in boxing, but Smolger and I got to be friends like outside the ring. Like we had a long standing back and forth email correspondence with each other about all kinds of different things about boxing. In his later years, he worked as a official with the uh, sanctioning body, the IBA, not the, one of the main sanctioning bodies, but he would always shoot me an email and tell me where, you know, what fights were on their schedule because he knew I liked to keep my schedule updated. Um, you know, we had a lot of laughs at fights we saw together. And I was looking around for it, and I couldn't find it. I think it's in one of my other computer files that I couldn't figure out where it is. I think it's buried on my old BlackBerry, which I'm going to have to rev up. I have an awesome picture of, uh, of Smoger myself and uh my ringside long side my longtime ringside colleague kevin ioli 
that we took together at a fight, you know, a number of years ago. That's a cool picture. Mm -hmm. I wanted to dig that out and, and post it on my uh, social media, but I, I can't find it. I know I have it anyway. Go over but, go over some of the prominent fights this guy worked because yeah. we could we could go for half an hour here on all the fights he worked, but go ahead. Okay, so he was a professional ref from 1986 to 2021. So in the span of time, mainly in the 90s, early 2000s, he was sort of like at, at, at like Nose Lane at it for a period of time where he caught a lot of the biggest assignments. Not, you know, he didn't work in Vegas. He worked mainly in the, you know, New York, Atlantic City, uh, East Coast, but he also worked internationally in, a, in all like millions, you know, all kinds of different countries. But uh, the some of the fights he worked, first of all, he worked two fights that were the fight of the year. 2001, a lot of, most places picked the Mickey Ward, Emmanuel Burton, then became Emmanuel Augustus fight, which was a main event on ESPN back on the old Friday night fight series. I can still hear uh, Teddy Atlas, uh, the, the longtime uh, commentator on the series, you know, midway through the fight, yelling in this, you know, go call your friends, tell them what you're seeing. You know, it's a great fight. And it turned out to be one of the, it's probably, if you want to know the truth, from roughly 1998 when Friday night fights started till the end of the series, it's probably the greatest single fight they ever had on the show. Wow. He was the referee. And by the way, the referee, I'm not saying he's responsible for having them fight their hearts out like that, but staying out of the action, letting them do their work and having the understanding of when to get in there, when to not get in there. That's the referee. And there's a reason why the greats have fights of the year on their, on their list of uh, accomplishments. So he did that fight. That was in 2001. He was, did the uh, 2003 uh, fight of the year as voted on by the boxing writers association of America, which I was ringside for an incredible fight cruiserweight championship fight between uh, the silly Jirov and James Tony when James Tony, uh, won that fight, knocked him down in the last round, uh, and ended up winning a decision on the scorecards. Uh, he was those; those are the two fights of the year he did. But those aren't even the biggest fights he did. I'm going to give you a few he did. He was, and a, a lot of these fights I was at. He was the third man in the ring on the night that Bernard Hopkins knocked out Tito Trinidad mm. in that uh, amazing night at Madison Square Garden two weeks after 9/11, uh, and Bernard Hopkins became the undisputed middleweight champion. Several years later, in 2007, he was there in the ring in Atlantic City when Jermaine Taylor and Kelly Pavlik put on a, a fight mm. for the ages and Kelly Pavlik knocked out Jermaine Taylor also to win the middleweight championship. He was the man in the ring uh, in Madison Square Garden on the night that Miguel Cotto exacted revenge and stopped Anthony Mar uh, Antonio Margarito by breaking up his face. Uh, and I always have the la and I was literally the side of the ring where Margarito's corner was, where Smolger was standing with the commission doctors and the corner men was right in front of where I was sitting. And I, and I was looking up and I'm like looking at Smoger. He looked at me while he was having the argument, not the argument, but the, you know, what do you want me to do? Discussion. Doc? Yeah. And it's like, I mean, he definitely hundred percent, we caught eyes with each other because, you know, we knew each other and, you know, he, he had to stop the fight. And it was like, was I know his he look, was his look like this ain't, this ain't continuing. I mean, like his look was like, I got to do what I got to do. Like, yes, he didn't Smoger never wanted to stop fights. He wanted guys to be able to get to the natural conclusion. So that was a fight I always remember. Another fight that I was at that he did, also a major, major fight. He did the final of the Super 6, Super Middleweight tournament that Showtime did in 2011 that concluded with Andre Ward defeating Carl Frotch to unify wow. with the titles in Atlantic City to become the unified champion. And that's, I mean, here's some more of the, more fights he did. I mean, just an amazing, I mean, went over a whole bunch of great fights that Mills Lane did. Here's some more that Steve Smoger did. Shane Mosley, Vernon Forrest won. I was also ringside at Madison Square Garden Theater. A phenomenal uh, upset and 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 shocking scenes when Vernon Forrest knocked Shane Mosley down, and five thousand people that filled that smaller theater at the exact time 
just help you know went, <gasps> like I, they couldn't believe what they were seeing roy jones this fight i was not at roy jones versus bernard hopkins won when roy jones won his first uh world title at middleweight uh the bernard hopkins keith holmes fight which was the semifinals of the tournament in which bernard ended up beating trinidad he did trinidad's comeback fight at the garden against ricardo mayorga incredible fight and wild electric atmosphere one of the best i've ever been in danny garcia versus zab judah at barclay center was a mm. big deal he did a, a world championship fight between triple g and gabriel rosado uh which had you know he didn't want to stop that fight either but he was cut so bad rosado he had no choice um i was in san francisco uh, in oakland on the night that andre ward uh, destroyed Chad Dawson uh, in front of the hometown fans. Miguel Cotto, Carlos Quintana in Atlantic City when Cotto won his first world title at welterweight. He did Cotto Pauli Malinaji at the uh, Madison Square Garden. Amir Khan coming over to the States at Madison Square Garden Theater to fight Pauli Malinaji. Uh, the second fight in the trilogy between Joel Casamayor and Diego Corrales when Shane Mosley won the lightweight world title against Philip Holiday. Vinny Pazienza, Roberto Duran two, Mike McCall, wow. Jake won. Larry Holmes versus Ray Mercer. That's a smattering and the biggest fights. But if you, I spent like 45 minutes the other night when I was writing an obituary about Steve. If you go on BoxRec and you click on his list of fights, he's got 22 pages worth of fights. I mean, wow. all the way from the four round preliminary fights he did up to the biggest mega fights he did. But Steve Smoger was a great referee. Um, and if you're familiar with the way he would officiate a fight, you know, I always, you know, everybody's looking at the winner when the, when the fight's over. I always sort of find myself looking at the loser because it seems more dramatic. And Smoger, when he would finally stop the fight, he'd give the loser a kiss on the cheek as a sign of respect. Like, hey, you did your best. It wasn't your night. You give him a little smooch. I mean, yep. Nothing like dramatic, but, you know, a kiss on the forehead, a kiss on the cheek, a hug. I mean, he was a very uh, emotional in that sense. Like, he kind of wore his heart on his sleeve a little bit. And, uh, I just love the guy. I, I knew him for many, many years. It was, I, you know, I didn't know he was sick. Uh, it's not like we talked every day or anything. Right. But, you know, that one kind of hurt because he's just like one sure. of those guys that sort of like you always see him around at the fights. And uh, he's a cool guy. And besides his, his, his um, incredible boxing career as a referee, he had been uh, a, a district court judge in uh, Atlantic City area. You know, he was a lawyer. So, you know, he had that that background of like a judge, you're an arbiter, you know, so sort mm -hmm. of the same in the courtroom as you're doing it, playing fair in the ring. Um, so an educated guy and just just it is interesting. Can I bring this up that Mills Lane was a lawyer and a district attorney and became a boxer and later a judge, by the way, and then became a, a boxing referee and later became Judge Mills Lane. And I did not know that about Smoger. I was fascinated yeah. to read what you wrote, that his background is a lawyer, a, yes, a legal background he the same way. Up. As an arbiter before he became before a referee, he became the municipal court judge. He had been a he had been a prosecutor in Atlantic City in the in the early 1980s. And so, I would say, like, I wish every boxing fan. I mean, one of the great things I love about the sport so much and, and having a chance to cover it for so long, besides just the fights, is meeting the the individuals that make up the tapestry of the sport. And Smolger was one of those guys. And we, I just, I always called him Smolger. Actually, I don't think I ever mm -hmm. referred to him as Steve. So I'm not trying to be disrespectful. That's just the way I always. He called me Danny, one of the few people that called me Danny, okay. other than like my sister and, uh -huh. and, uh, and my mother. Um, and I don't know why he did that. It just he did. And I accepted it. Uh, but you get to meet those kinds of people. And he was just a cool guy to be around and fun to talk to. And, um, and, and I had some serious conversations also with him about like 
I remember sitting down with him one time in a, in a, I forget where we were. It might've been in like Foxwoods or something like that in Connecticut, where he also did a lot of fights and, and him like we were discussing like his refereeing philosophy. You know, he was one of the hottest referees at that time, one of getting all the big fights. And he was explaining to me like what he looks for when it's time to stop a fight leading up to it, the type of preparation he would do for a fight. And he said to me, and he said this in subsequent interviews on the night that he did the Jermaine Taylor, Kelly Pavlik fight. Remember, Jermaine Taylor scored a very big knockdown against Kelly Pavlik. I believe it was in the second round. And it was it was it was kind of hurt. And I think a lot of referees uh, might have stopped that fight. But Steve Smoger, who had refereed Kelly Pavlik's previous fight, which was the title eliminator against Edison Miranda, another tremendous battle that I didn't even read off the list of uh, fights I was mentioning earlier. He knew Kelly Pavlik's uh, style of fighting and knew uh, sort of the way he dealt with adversity, like he did in that fight against Edison Miranda. So in Smolger's mind, he felt like, yes, he was knocked down, but it's round two. I saw what he was able to come back from in the Edison Miranda fight, you know, not that long before. So I'm not stopping the fight. And Kelly Pavlik, sure enough, got off the deck, got himself together, took him a few seconds. He was fine. He came back. He rallied. He scored a big knockout against Jermaine Taylor and changed his life forever by, by getting that knockout and becoming the middleweight champion. And if Steve Smoker stops the fight, Kelly Pavlik may very well have just been written off as, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a fraud and he's done. He got knocked out. He had a tough fight with Miranda. Jermaine knocked him out and he goes down the tubes. But uh, Smoker's willingness to allow fights to go to their natural conclusion without getting guys hurt, you know, is a testament to what a great referee is and a reason why he's in the Hall of Fame. I know we spent a lot of time talking about yep, this, but but deservedly he's one, so. He's one of the great characters and one of the great refs in boxing. And uh, on a just on a personal note, again, we weren't like best friends or anything, but we did have a a relationship. And uh, I'm going to miss him. He was a great guy. And you did a great job eulogizing him right there. Uh, with that, I, I just have the memory of watching all of those fights on ESPN, et cetera. And it was Ed Sheridan, right? Was the ring announcer. Do I have that name? Right? No, you think, do not. What? Who's the, uh, who's the ring? Who's the ring announcer? You're, you're thinking of Ed Darien. I was close. Sheridan Darien. Oh, Ed oh, Darien. Let me do my Ed Darien. Ed Darien. Ed Darien. Darien. Ed Darien. All right. He always said the name. Twice. Cause he always said the name. Yes. Okay. But he would always say, and your referee, double S, Steve Smoger. I still remember that over and over again. Whenever he, you, and he would kind of when, point at the camera. And so I just take that image with me whenever I think of Smoger, forever. When we exchanged emails, he always signed his email, SS. There you go. But uh, on those intros, that's what we remember. You did a great job eulogizing him. Well done. We feel for you on that. Um, holiday time is always tough, especially if you're talking about losing loved ones or having lost loved ones, etc. Smoger is beloved in the boxing community, obviously, and you've seen outpouring all over the place about him as a referee, not unlike with Mills Lane. Uh, they're the same way. We continue with the conversation on the podcast in a moment. First, a moment for our friends at Bet US. Whether we're getting to the end of the year here for the fights, or whether we're getting to the end of the NFL season, the college football bowl season, college basketball that started up, the NBA that's going on, the National Hockey League, use our friends at BetUS. If you're looking to wager, they've got a fantastic offer just from us here on the podcast. First-time subscribers and sign-ups get a 125% match bonus. That means deposit $100, bucks, you have got an extra $125 to gamble. $200 bucks in, an extra $250 to gamble from them for first-time sign-ups. Again, whether it's the fights, I know that we've come to the kind of the end of the year here in 2022, but when Gervonta Davis's pay-per-view is underway, you want to gamble on those fights or 
Bellator. Uh, later on in the month, when uh, Jermel Charlo fights Tim Zhu for the undisputed junior middleweight title, gamble on the fights, U.S., worldwide, etc., uh, whatever you want to do, or the NFL as it winds down, the college football bowls, the college football playoff, any of that stuff with BetUS. And remember our promo code BFW22. That's going to get you that match bonus, BFW22 for Big Fight Weekend. 125% match bonus awaits. The limit on that, by the way, is $2,500 down on the initial deposit. If you're a first-time sign-up, you can deposit up to $2,500. They will match it with a 125% match. Use our promo code BFW22. We'll get credit for that. It will help us out as well. Again, they've been America's favorite sports book for three decades. It's where the games begin. It is BetUS. Whether you're gambling on the boxing, the football, the basketball, whatever it is, use our promo code BFW22. 125% match bonus awaits with BetUS. All right, I promise we're getting to the Demetrius Andrade conversation that Dan had with him. He's on the undercard of the Gervonta Davis pay-per-view in Washington, D.C. in a couple of weeks, former world middleweight champion in a moment. Spend a couple of minutes and tell me because the Boxing Writers Association nominees for Fight of the Year, Fighter of the Year, KO of the Year are out. Go over it real quick. I know you've been writing about it, but go over it real quick. Well, I've, you know, I've been a member of the uh, Boxing Writers Association for you know 20 plus years. We don't actually do a uh, knockout of the year. We okay. do a bunch of other awards. The awards are, um, you know, the, the big ones, of course, are the fighter of the year and the fight of the year. Um, we have, for the last several years, also had a women's fighter of the year. This year, partly because, you know, because women's boxing is broken out so well and it was a great year for women's boxing, just this week, and I am on the board of directors of the BWAA, myself and uh, the rest of our board and our president, uh, Joe Santaloquito, and we all got together via our email exchange and we we decided that we are adding a women's fight of the year. So all the people that are getting on my case because I haven't said uh, anything about Katie Taylor and Serrano being mm-hmm. the fight of the year, uh, it probably will be the fight of the year, but it will be in the women's category. My argument, I'm not like going against the women and, and favoring the men or anything like that. It's sort of like, you know, if uh, LeBron James is the MVP of the NBA, he's not going up against whoever the top superstar who wins the MVP in the WNBA? They're separate leagues, separate sports, and so right. they shouldn't be thrown together. So the men have their awards. I mean, obviously they've been around for 100 plus years, uh, uh, you know, in the consciousness of the sporting public. The women in boxing, it's been much uh, shorter period of time. So, uh, but by all means, no disrespect. Uh, so we are having those categories, the women's categories in the BWA. This will hopefully change in the future. At the current time, it is uh, voted on by a separate committee, whereas the other main awards are voted on by the open membership. So just to clarify all that business in any event, we do the fighter of the year, the fight of the year, the manager of the year, the trainer of the year. Uh, we give out, uh, what we call the Marvin Cohn good guy award. We give out an award, uh, for excellence in broadcast journalism, which is basically anybody involved in the TV realm, uh, the long and meritorious service award. We give out an award, uh, named after John McCain, who was a, great mm-hmm. champion of boxing and a boxing fan along with Bill Crawford of past uh, person in the organization uh, for the, it's the courage award. Usually somebody dealing obviously with severe adversity of some type uh, in any event, the, the nominees for the fighter of the year should not come as a surprise to anybody. We had six nominees. It was Dimitri Bivol, Hector Luis Garcia. Well, Bivol of course had the upset against Canelo and, and, and then whooped up on Cerdo Ramirez. Hector Luis Garcia had two upsets against Chris Colbert and Roger Gutierrez to win the WBA 130 pound title. It parlayed that into the fight coming up against Trevante Davis. 
Devin Haney, the undisputed lightweight champion, uh, which he accomplished uh, by going to Australia and then doing it again in the rematch with George Cambosis. Uh, Leo Inoue, who blew out Nonito Donaire in their second fight and then became the undisputed Bantamweight champion for the first time in that division's history in terms of four belts when he knocked out Paul Butler just a couple weeks ago. He had the excellent year by Jesse Bam Rodriguez, uh, who won three fights, won a world title, was at that time the youngest champion in boxing. Did so by taking a, a fight on short notice and moving up in weight for his first uh, world title against Quadras. Knocked out Sarung Vasai, came back and had a very good win against Israel Gonzalez. And the sixth nominee was uh, the excellent Japanese champion in the junior flyweight division, Kenshiro Taraji, who had a knockout against uh, Yabuki in the third round to uh, avenge his previous title loss in an immediate rematch. And then in his second fight of the year, had an excellent knockout victory against uh, Hiroto Kayaguchi in a really good fight. And uh, those are your nominees. So I won't go over every single nominee in every category, but really quickly, the, the nominees that we had for the fight of the year, uh, all excellent uh, contenders. Uh, the rematch between Jermell Charlo and Brian Castaño, where Charlo became the undisputed champion in the junior middleweight division. The, the absolute slugfest between Sebastian Fandora and Erickson Lubin yep. in the junior middleweight division. Uh, that was for an interim title. He had uh, the excellent heavyweight fight between Joe Joyce and Joe Parker. Joe Parker getting stopped in the 11th round for a uh, WBO interim title. Uh, this this is a fight that I hope that people, if they didn't see it or don't know a lot about it, before they give their opinion, I, go I on. know where you're going. And you've, exactly. been you've put me on to this one, and I watched it, and I'm with you that it should be strongly yeah. considered go. So go on YouTube, go on zone, whatever you got to do. But watch this fight from Mexico. Vacant IBF junior flyweight title match between Cervante Nanchinga from South Africa against Mexico's Hector Flores. Trust me when I tell you, you will not be sorry. Absolutely freaking great fight. Then there's the IBF cruiserweight title fight where uh, Jai Opataya uh, pulled the upset yep. against Myris Bradis to win that belt. And then, of course, uh, a fight that a lot of people probably will vote for, uh, a dramatic, outstanding fight with an incredible conclusion. Lee Woods, 12th round knockout, comeback knockout against Michael Conlon in their WBA featherweight title fight. So that's a pretty damn good year. Now, the thing I said, TJ, is this. A lot of times in fight of the year rolls around, there's one fight that definitely stands out above the others. When you see a fight like a Corrales Castillo mm -hmm. or, you know, Pacquiao versus Marquez for things like that, you or know. Or just go back to last year in Fury Wilder 3. Of course. 100%. I mean, that one, yes. Yes. You see those types of fights and you it doesn't take a lot of contemplation about who you're going to check off on your ballot or who you're going to pick or vote for or tweet about or whatever. This particular year. While I don't think any of those six fights rise to the level of like the greatest fights of all time, that level, like a Corrales Castillo or a Marquez Pacquiao, all six of those candidates are bona fide candidates. Like I could have, I could not really argue strongly if you told me you picked any one of those six fights or the next guy said, I'm picking the other fight and a, a third person picked the third fight. Like you could talk to six people and they could all pick, you know, one of those different bouts. And I wouldn't really have a, a strong argument. They're all worthy contenders and uh in terms of the trainer of the year you have bill haney who obviously trained his son to the undisputed uh, lightweight title you have Derek james who's been a candidate for several years i gotta think this is his year uh, he's the only trainer in boxing with two unified champions in jermel charlo and errol spence jr one of whom in charlo is undisputed he's also the trainer for the undefeated frank martin the rising mm -hmm. lightweight who just had a big win uh last week against uh michelle rivera on showtime uh, Gennady, uh, this is a guy most people never heard of, is uh, Gennady 
Mashinov, who is the trainer for Dmitry Bivol, who obviously had a great year mm-hmm. and is the odds on favorite to be the fighter of the year. Colin Nathan from South Africa, who was the trainer of Nanshingo, who obviously has him. He also has Hecky Butler, another excellent fighter from South Africa. And uh, he did yeoman's work in that fight with Nanshinga and, uh, and uh, when he won that title. He had the Teddy Atlas speech in the corner telling him, you know, do it for your family. It was as dramatic as it gets. He's a good candidate. And you have Bob Santos, who a lot of people in boxing have known for many years, mainly as a strength and conditioning coach. But he has become in recent years a head trainer in addition to the strength and uh, conditioning duties. And he had a big year also. He got Hector Luis Garcia, who won a world title. He had Alberto Puello another Dominican fighter that became a world champion in the 140 pound division. And then yet another Dominican fighter, uh, Carlos Adamas, who is, uh, you know, doing business at 160 and has a, has a, uh, an interim title as well. So Santos is another really good candidate. And uh, you know, it's when you look at the awards at the end of the year, you realize that there's a lot of guys that do excellent things in their, in their line of work. And uh, these awards are a way to honor those folks. And uh, I'll just run down the manager. I won't go through every other one, but just in terms of the managers, you got Louis DeCubis Jr., who works very closely with PBC, manages the likes of Kayla Plant or Dennis Ugas, David Morrell, Hector Luis Garcia, Pollo, Lara, Roly Romero, has a good stable, obviously. Uh, Bill Haney is the manager for his son. You have Peter Kahn, who's an excellent candidate. He is the manager, or was the manager, he got fired unceremoniously by George Cambosis Jr., but Peter put him in position to make the biggest money he's ever made by far, as well as the terms for the rematch with uh, Haney. He also manages the undisputed women's super middleweight champion franchise franchise Cruz Desern. Uh, he manages the outstanding prospect who's going to make a shitload of money down the road in Xander Zayas. He also manages a guy that he got a lifetime, uh, he got a big payday for, for a fight of his lifetime, uh, Emmanuel Tago when he fought Ryan Garcia. Remember manager of the year, unlike fighter of the year, unlike trainer of the year, where it's dependent on what the result is in the ring. The manager of the year, if your guys could go 0-50, but if you set them up for big money and big deals, that's the criteria. Right. So George Cambosis may have lost twice against Haney. That does not count against Peter Kahn as the manager. What that does is actually it 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 it, it embellishes and it enhances his, his candidacy because his guy may have gotten beat, but he made crazy money. And the same goes for some of these other guys. Like I got Haney, you. You know, it's so, but people confuse that. They want to just give the manager to the guy that managed the best guys. But what's, so, I mean, it's it's not unlike in, in sports, in American sports, there's a general manager that builds the team, but then there's a coach or a manager that's actually coaching or managing the team day to day. They're two different things. Now, sometimes the coach the GM, is, the coach GM can be the same, but by and large, they are separate jobs, separate roles, separate people. That's what you're talking about. But the general manager is still is judged on the results of the team. The manager in boxing is not judged on the result of the fight. He's judged on what kind of deal did he get his boxer? How much money did they make? Sure. What kind I of exposure you. did he get him? So that's why a guy like Peter Kahn, even though his main guy lost uh, twice, the money and the deals and the, everything around it was tremendous. And the other two candidates, also quality, Vadim Kornilov, who manages Dmitry Bivol, and uh, Bakdir Jalalov, and Israel Majumov, and uh, MJ Akhmedalyov, and uh, has a great stable. And then Brian Peters uh, from... Uh, Ireland, who is the manager for Katie Taylor, who obviously was involved in her biggest fights this year. So those are the main awards. And then I won't go through all the other ones, but it's uh, it's always fun to hash it out and go over it and to talk about it. Great stuff from you. And by the way, they'll all yep. get their, uh, the winners will be announced in January and uh, the BWA will have its annual banquet. We're kind of, we're back on our regular schedule after COVID messed us up for a couple of years. Uh, we will have our, our, our annual awards banquet um, spring TBA. It will be 
around the weekend of whatever major fight that we come up with at that time. All right. Good stuff on all the boxing awards to end out the year. Good spot here on the Big Fight Weekend Preview without a major fight card, without a significant fight. Let's go to an interview. Let's go to a conversation. Speaking of champs, former world champ in the middleweight division is Demetrius Andre. He is now on the undercard of this Davis uh, Garcia pay-per-view coming January 7th in a couple of weeks. Dan spoke with him on all subjects, including trying to get a world championship back, etc. We go to that now here on the show. All right. I want to welcome into the podcast our last one of the year. We saved the best for last, I guess. It is the two-division world champion, Demetrius Bubu Andre, undefeated still, 31-0, 19 knockouts. Demetrius, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for doing this. How have you been? I've been good, man. Thank you for, you know, having me here. And thank you for always continuing to do what you do and as give the talk, the true talk. You bet. All right, we're going to do some true talk right here on this uh, podcast with you. Uh, you're coming back after a 14-month layoff. We'll let the people know you have your first fight in that uh, period of time, a 10-rounder against Damon Nicholson. It'll be uh, the uh, one of the fights on the Showtime pay-per-view card January 7th at the Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C. I'm excited to have the fight in Washington because it's a half hour from my house, so I will see you on fight night. Uh, you're taking on, uh, like I said, Damon Nicholson. Um, after a long layoff, after an injury, after some uncertainty about where your career was going, I suppose. So let's back up a little bit, Demetrius. You, you were defending your, your WBO super uh, middleweight title. You had a, a, ter- a terrific knockout against Jason Quigley. Got rid of him in the second round, did what you're supposed to do. This is back in November of 2021. Uh, nice win. Your contract with Matchroom Boxing was expiring. And I know Eddie wanted to deliver you a big fight. He was not able to do so. You parted ways. Uh, can you tell me if you were there was some disappointment in the fact that they didn't look to really make a hard effort to re-sign you? And what did you think you were going to do after the contract was up? No, yeah, I knew um, once the contract was up, I wanted to seek elsewhere because I believe that, um, you know, did they do the very best to campaign me to fight the Triple G's, the Canelo, the Hami Mugia? No, I don't think they did. I don't think they really pressed the issue because after, uh, I was just saying, after Mugia will fight O'Sullivan, they will mention him fighting Triple G, and it's just like, yo, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, how, how, did, how did that happen? But when I'm done fighting, you guys are mentioning Chalo, and he's all the way over there at Showtime. So it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. So, how, like, I don't understand that, you know, how, why would they even allow that to even happen? Um, I was, they kept me active, and I got paid well. You know, we, we tried to do, like, the whole New England thing, did Florida. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they did their very best of doing the very best, should I say. But I appreciate them for, you know, giving me the platform to show my skills, show my talent, and um, get what I deserve. And that's, you know, the reward. So where did you think you were going after that? Now you're a free agent. You're still a world champ. You were undefeated. Uh, what, what were you looking at doing? Yeah, I was um, looking to first just talk to everybody, just to just have conversations. But my preferred preference was going to be with Showtime, with, with PBC. Like, that's just the best route but of course like i said i'm gonna like just have talks mm-hmm. to see what what anybody just has to say what are they looking to offer but i already knew you know where i want to go i was just playing the game so you were supposed to defend your 
uh, or you weren't going to defend your title. You were going to try your hand at super middleweight, which is where you're going to fight now. And you had a purse bid that Frank Warren won for a interim title fight against Zach Parker. That fight was scheduled. You were willing to go overseas. Not your first time. You'd gone overseas and fought in Germany on other uh, fighters' hometowns. So your uh, the, uh, willingness to do that did not surprise me. You suffered the shoulder injury, forced that fight to be called off. So a couple things about that. Number one, how is your shoulder now? Are you good to go? It's good to go. I did um, some, um, you know, I advise people to try to look into, like, the PRP, the stem thing before somebody, like, oh, let's just put you under the scope. Um, so, you know, look into that stuff. I got that stuff done. Uh, you know, I took the therapy route, you know, the healing route, and just, like, you know, actively, you know, moving the motions that I need to, to get it, you know, where I needed to get to. Um yeah, so I think I believe I'm I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm definitely ready to go. My shoulders feel good. I can definitely punch. Um, you know, in this sport, I tell people we fight with injuries all the time. Sure. Some injuries you can't take. You can't. You know, you're not gonna go in there like like not to bring it up, but look what happened with like uh, Gabby Russell. You know, a good friend of mine who tried to do it, and look, he ended up fighting with one hand. I'm not gonna put myself in that position or be desperate to get in the ring for that type of situation when I know that that can jeopardize a bright future ahead. So, you know, we're going to say, no, I can't do it. I need a few more, I need a few weeks, months, whatever. Cool. Let's get back to it. Willing to get back to it. Willing to go right back to uh, the UK, wherever, London, or wherever, Dunbury, wherever they were. But when they mentioned, like, uh, oh, we went, I went from one point something making to 150 grand, yeah, you got to kick rocks. Right, so I was going to ask you about that. So the first purse bid was nullified. You had withdrawn because of the injury. So they then reapproved the fight, ordered another purse bid, but this time there was only the one bidder. So he shows up with one envelope, and as you mentioned, you go from making uh, your slice of that bid from well over a million dollars in the second purse bid, your purse would be like under 200000 uh, Based on your answer, that was the reason you didn't go through with that fight, correct? Because it was a very well, low purse. Well, it's not. I mean, listen, I can... I can... <laughs> I have mad streams of income that I can make that no problem. You know, I'm not no, not doing that. That's just doesn't. I'm in the hurt business. People, life is on the line. 150 grand ain't going to nah, not happening. Like, Understood. And it, huh? I know. I understand that. So let me ask you about this then. Did you ever consider, or was there any conversation with your team about staying at 160 and defending against your mandatory, which is Janibek Alma Kanuli? No, of course not. So pretty much the the whole thing was to be able to like you know fight at one sixty eight, beat Zach Parker, have that option to go up or down. If it would be like a since it was my last situation too, if it would have been Charlo, will do I suffer to go back down to one sixty to fight Charlo? Okay, or can he do it at one sixty eight and we have an interim situation? Like my moves been like been trying to make moves to like direct that situation you know i even offer like okay for me to make 160 again let's put me in with laura which he has the wba boom that's two belts because triple g's probably gonna most likely lose against canelo give up retire that belt comes to me now okay we got chavo wbc i have wba i had wbl let's let's tangle so i've been trying to do the best I can to make these situations happen. Um, people say, oh, Canelo, Canelo, Canelo. Canelo is Canelo. He's his own, like, 
situation where he dictates a lot of things, you know, and I'm happy for him that he can do that. And that's like a privilege and like luxury. That's not everybody can get that and do that. Great for him. Just because I have the interim WBO doesn't mean he's going to be like, I'll fight Andre. That does not mean that. I want people to know that. So fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, he made it very clear. And I was there in the room when you came to his press conference after he defeated Billy Joe Saunders in their unification fight. And you tried to drum something up. You were both with the zone at the time. You were both with Matchroom. And, you know, we all know what happened there. He told you uh, what he thought and had you removed from the room, I thought. Uh, what would turn out, what started off as a good-natured back and forth, it didn't end that way. So I understand that he did not want to fight you. But then you left. Um, you know, Matchroom deal was up, as we discussed. You're, you're, you're not going to do the fight with Parker because there was no money in that fight whatsoever. And so you were talking to everybody. So I'd like to know... Uh, how did it come to be that you finally were able to work this deal out with PBC? And uh, are you happy with that deal you now have as you get started on that deal with this fight coming up January 7th? Yeah, I'm happy to, you know, um, that we finally got through the, the bullshit pretty much. Like, you know, the, the rumors, some of the storylines of, you know, or, or here he say she stuff. And they got it from, you know, my voice, the source, of course, and, you know, people who that was pretty much the, the, the true middle people I had to help navigate things. And we're here now. We're just going to take it, you know, fight by fight to get comfortable with each other. But, you know, they know that, I like I said, my preferred preference was to be with, with Showtime, and I'm looking to get in there with Chow. So do you have a, is it a fight by fight basis here with them, or you have a longer term deal that you're locked in with? No, you know, we're just going to start off by fight by fight. I mean, just like I'm, I'm at the age where I don't need a four or five year uh, thing. They don't need to hold on to me. Like, there's, there's no like development stages. Right. No, it's put me in with who I, with the best. Your best guy against me. Like, that's it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's pretty much simple. And of course, I would like to stay over here as well and do my job, they do their job, and we can. I think we can have a, a, a good, you know, relationship. All right, so you, you understandably get this type of fight, not a big mega fight, obviously, but a competent opponent uh, to kick off that rust of that 14 months where you haven't had the fight coming off of the injury. So what do you want to see in yourself when you take on Damon Nicholson? Uh, look, he's a not a top contender. He's a credible opponent. He's been in the ring with some good opponents. But I don't think anybody would uh, argue that he's not on the Demetrius Andre level. So what would you like to see from yourself when you step in the ring January 7th? Yeah, well, um, I'm just looking to go in there and just, like, have fun. You know, like, have fun this fight. Have fun, get in my groove, show my determination on the stoppage, and just go in there and just let people know, like, this is this is, this is is what fun looks like. This is what it should have been, you know. But... You know, things happen, but I'm here, and look, we, we the possibilities are endless, should I say. The possibilities are great with the amount of time I have left in the sport of boxing. I'm not, you know, yeah, well, you might do the Floyd Mayweather thing, too, a couple Bahamas, get some exhibitions with some wrestlers and shit, you know what I'm saying? I don't know why not. But, um, what's up? So, you're still in here. Yeah, yeah. You're, so you're... Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I'm looking to, like, you know, Chalo and I'm retiring. <laughs> well, I was just saying, you're, you're the one talking about like you know, you're you're it's, it's it's late in your career, relatively speaking. You're 34 years old. 
you're coming off a long layoff and an injury. Do you still feel like when you're training that you can still be at the top of your game when we've seen you at your best? Yeah, of course. You haven't really seen me at my best because I haven't been in there with the people that, you know what I'm saying? But you've seen the skillfulness, you've seen the talent, you've seen the IQ, you know that I'm really good at what I do. But, um, you know, I don't think I put out the very best because I ain't got in there with somebody that's like, oh, yo, this is, you know? Yeah. So you make the point now. I feel good. I feel like I have the energy. I'm, I'm good. I'm like, I'm just because I in those my time off just helped me preserve, helps me rest, help me, you know, build up the energy that I need to be able to make these things happen. And at the end of the day, you know, when I say as far as like you know getting older, we're all in the same age group. I'm 34, Tyler 32, 31, Canelo. Like we're all in the same playing field. So. We're all going to have similar energies in a, in a sense, but, you know, we're in tear kicks in. So now being with PBC, where, as you said, all the bullshit's now behind you, you have a, a, a group of fighters that are with them. You mentioned Charlo, uh, who's still fighting at 160 pounds. I'm assuming in some point in the not-too-distant future he'll, mo- he'll move up. But they also have some other excellent super middleweights. They have David Benavides. They have Caleb Plant, both... Uh, Former champions, Benavides is currently an interim champion. They're supposed to fight each other in the early part of 2023. Uh, besides Charlotte, you got to figure that if you're going to be with PBC, that you figure in the in the picture to fight David or to fight Caleb, uh, the winner of that fight, maybe the loser of that fight, depending how it goes. Are those guys in your mind uh, down the road as well, besides Charlotte? Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that was the, the characters. Those are the other characters that I feel like that would be, be able to say yes and be like, you know what, yeah, I'll fight you, Andre. And just because now now that what I'm saying is true, because David Benavides and Caleb Plant came to terms and they're fighting, so I knew, in a sense, like, they have that attitude, like, yo, they want to fight. They want to make things happen. They know high risk, high reward. They understand that. I don't know if Child really understands that, but I'm trying to get him to understand that. If they can do it, we should do it. I want our history, our rivalry, our situation. I think that's a big fight that needs to be made. Of course, David Benavides and Caleb Plant also big fights too. But this is those that Charlie Andre is the fight that everybody always wanted to see. Yeah, and listen, still wants to see. That's a it's a great matchup. And uh, listen, I'll, I'll finish up with this, uh, Demetrius. Now, and you know this because we've talked off podcast times before. I have said to you uh, on social media in columns for a long time that to me you're probably one of the single most avoided fighters I have covered in more than 20 years of writing about professional boxing. Uh, you've been a pro now going on 15 years. Why do you think you've never been able to get that big fight? You've been a champion in two weight classes. You're undefeated. You are a top amateur Olympian, world amateur champion. The one time a promoter ever had the balls to go to your hometown and put the fight on in Providence, Rhode Island, I was there. You did a great crowd, so they can't say you can't bring in fans. They may say that you're not the most exciting guy, but I look at your record and I've seen a big knockout against Quigley. I've seen knockouts against uh, other fighters. I've seen numerous knockdowns, even if you didn't get the knockout. Why in the world uh, could you not get the big fight? And you sure as heck can talk. You can promote. You can put your... uh, you know, your your personality out there also, it still it defies my logic why Demetrius Andrade has yet to get a major fight. Yeah, it's, it's, it is pretty crazy, and thank you for, you know, the compliments. And, uh, and you, know, you know, by I the think, way, you know I'm not just kissing your end because we've talked about oh, this before. Of course, 
then now, of course, you know, we uh, listen, I, keep it real. Listen, not every fight is going to be real champion. Some might be contending, some, whatever it is, I, we know my caliber. At the end of the day, it's funny because some of these fighters be like, wait, hold on. He's, his right hand and his right foot is his lead hand? I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't come to sport to fight with somebody like that. Does that? I don't know. Man. That's tricky. <laughs> but it can't, just, it can't just be they don't want to fight a southpaw. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to explain. Like, is it? I mean, yeah, of course. I'm skillful. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to fight. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to do things that, you know, people study me. People watch my movements. People try to emulate things that I do. I come up with angles. I I, I put traps together that you don't see coming because it's just something that I've been working on for a long time. I've been doing this since I was six years old. You know, and I understand. As I got older, I understand more body language and, and things like that. So I know how to take over a fight, find things. And even if, like you said, people call it boring, but yo, everybody I step into the ring with goes down with clean shots. How is that not something to be excited for? I bring all types of different styles and excitement to every time I fight. Yeah, some fights might be better than others, which we all have that, you know? But at the end of the day, I'm bringing a different light every single time. So as far as, like, you know, um, being able to, like, go over here with Showtime and have them campaign me, of course I can promote, I can talk well um, and have discussions about anything. You know, I, it doesn't always have to be about me either. So therefore, it's just like now we're going to see, is it business? Is it the fighters? With the zone? I think it was both. Now I'm going over here with Showtime, and, I, and my, my hopes is Showtime, you know, and all, all the people that's behind it is going to push the campaign for the fight because that's what Showtime is really, that's why they're the best. They put the best fight in the best, and they have done it, and they're proving it again with this Caleb Plant and David Benavides situation. There you go. And many other fights they had um, throughout the years. So I'll just finish up with this then, Demetrius. Uh, if everything goes well for you uh, January 7th against Nicholson on this uh, Tank Davis, uh, Hector Luis Garcia pay-per-view, do you feel like that as you begin what I would consider a new chapter of your career, that when it's all said and done in the next you know, 16 months or so, you're going to be able to get a major, major fight, the biggest fight of your career so far? I'll hope sooner. <laughs> Right. Oh, oh, sooner. 16 months now. I just have 14 months old. Go. Sooner. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. We hope it's... Next. After the 7th. January, February, March, April, May, June. Calo. What's up? Summertime, baby. Let's make this shit happen. There ain't no better than that. Listen, I agree with you. I hope that you uh, get that big fight that you've been looking for. If it's Charlotte, that would be fantastic. Let me just say thank you so much for the time. I, I wish you nothing but the best come January 7th, Dimitri. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. God bless. And happy holidays. See you, you soon. You too, Demetrius. Take care. We're going to have to get you like an A-team mug over there. You know what I'm saying? On top of the GGG box over there. We're going to hope you up over there. All right, we'll get you some A-team apparel too. All right, text me up. Good things. So I can send you some stuff. Man. You know what I'm saying? I have you out here looking swaggy, not like dingy over there with that triple g shit you know what i'm saying that sounds good i'll put the uh, i'll put the uh, the uh, a team stuff right with that triple g hat i yeah, appreciate yeah. it put it on top put it on top put it on top <laughs> all right my man good luck in the fight and we'll talk to you soon all right cool peace take care our bodies come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too 
That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. We're back on Big Bite Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. All right, so Andre clearly knows. He's on the undercard. He's trying to get back into it, and it's a new start for him. Uh, yeah, we could go on and on. I'm not going to do it here. It's the festive holiday spirit. Uh, he should have been with PBC for the better fights before. I think he now realizes he can maybe get a better fight with that. And you have, you have often said that dangerous left-handed, defensive-minded, talented fighter, and now he's going to prove himself on the undercard and probably be in line for a title shot right after that later in 2023, right? Real quick to wrap it up. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he uh, he's going to have this fight against Demon Nicholson. It's, you know, no offense to Demon Nicholson. It should be a relatively straightforward victory for him. Uh, and then after that, you know, he's in business because PBC, like you said, where he should have been, he wants to fight Charlo. He wants him to come up from 160. That's a fight that people have talked about actually for a number of years. But there's also the prop, the possibility of the winner of the Benavides and and uh, and um, Caleb Plant fight, potentially the loser of that fight, depending on how it goes. So if you want to be in the super middleweight business and you can't get a fight with Canelo, which he clearly can't. I mean, he, you know, we talked about the press conference where he uh, basically got cursed out by Canelo after the <laughs> Billy Joe Saunders fight. He's right. in the right spot. So, listen, Demetrius is not getting any younger. He, this is the time where he's, you know, he's, he's been a pro like, you know, over a decade. He's never had a big fight, not for his own fault for the most part. I mean, he did have some kind of stupid business decisions back in the day. People can Google that if they want. But uh, in the end, he shouldn't be punished for that forever. I hope now at this point in his career, uh, if he shows up and does his business on January 7th, I do hope very much that Demetrius Andre gets a, a big time fight. He's a good guy and uh, I've always liked him. And, uh, you know, he's a hell of a fighter. All right. Well done with the conversation with him. A couple more news items and then we're done for the Christmas holiday weekend. Were we not ahead of the curve in talking about something is up with British heavyweight Daniel Dubois and what looked like a leg injury? Well, lo and behold, it now turns out that the WBA secondary heavyweight champ did suffer, unfortunately, a torn ACL in the first round of that fight with uh, South African Kevin Lorena. This was on the undercard of the Tyson Fury uh, beatdown of Derek Chisora. Uh, an odd thing where Dubois went down a couple of times without being hit, clearly looking over at his corner like my leg. He's even saying that to his corner in between rounds. All right, it's now confirmed that Dubois has a torn ACL, Dan, and he's going to be out of action at least six months. If it's a full ACL tear, which we don't know, and I know a lot about this from working in pro sports, working in the NFL, et cetera, if it's a full tear, that's usually a nine-month rest, rehab, and recovery. But we don't know if it's a full tear or not. Uh, all right, your thoughts here now that we learned this, and it's definitely going to shelve him for the first half of 2023 coming up. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you hope that it's not the serious uh, variety and that he can uh... – 
you know, just go through his, if he needs a surgery or go through his rehab and come back strong. And, and, and uh, if it turns out that it's a nine month layoff and maybe he doesn't fight for a year, uh, not a beautiful uh, situation, but certainly not uncommon for a top fighter to be out for that length of time. So, but hopefully it's not that serious and he can get back to business. Uh, what the boxing fans will be interested to know about this is because of this injury. Remember at the WBA convention just a couple of weeks ago, they had ordered the Dubois mandatory against uh, Alexander Usyk. Now, that was just to put it on the record and get it out there. I know from my own conversations with the WBA that if the Tyson Fury camp and the Usyk camp could come to terms and agree, you know, within a timely fashion to have that undisputed championship fight, they were not going to get in the way of that happening. They were not going to strip him of the WBA title if he didn't fight Dubois. But the point is now that Dubois is on the shelf with this injury, hopefully getting better as quick as possible. The reality is the, 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 the pathway now to make this for undisputed and have no problems with sanctioning bodies is there because no one's going to stand in the way. Dubois is the title holder in the secondary variety, but he's not going to get that fight anytime soon. So Fury and Usyk and their teams can go forward with a, with a clear runway to make the fight for undisputed, gotcha. which will be the case. So hopefully they'll get that wrapped up. We'll see that fight you know, anytime, March, April, May, whatever. Obviously, we still don't know the extent of the injury to Tyson Fury's elbow. Uh, hopefully it's okay and it won't keep him out too long and they'll make that fight. And when Dubois comes back, he probably will come back with a, you know, a, a tune-up type fight. And so, you know, he's a long way from fighting for the big title, I guess is the point. You just hope he gets better and it's not uh, uh, too serious. In the meantime, it, it allows other fights to take place uh, for Undisputed. And Dubois had the adversity of the fractured eye orbital too from Joe Joyce and had to come yeah. back from that and has still maybe got some lingering effect from that when he's taking shots to the head. So more injury adversity for him. We'll see how he responds. Real quick, speaking of injuries, we now know that the top rank uh, heavyweight battle uh, between F.A. Ajagba and Oscar Rivas that was to lead off the first top rank boxing card in January of the new year you got to find a new opponent. Oscar Rivas, by the admission of his own promoter and his own team, has an eye injury in training. Can't uh, can't follow through. Now, the good news is Top Rank's got a few weeks here before you come around to the weekend of, of January 14th to find a new opponent, keep that card intact. Dan, are you hearing a name or two, anything floating out there? they got to find somebody because a jog bus is somebody they want to feature. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they'll find somebody. Top Rank has a great staff and a good good matchmaking group. Brad Goodman and Bruce Trampler and those teams, Carl Moretti, they'll find somebody, I'm sure. Uh, the good thing about it, because it's a heavyweight fight and there's only a few weeks to go, you don't have to worry about if you got get an opponent. Uh, it's one thing to sign an opponent in the smaller weights. You also got to make sure the guy can make the weight. That's right. If you're a heavyweight, you don't got to worry about a guy, uh, you know, shedding the the pounds to make the uh, the contract. But hopefully they'll find somebody solid. Oscar Rivas is not his first eye injury. He's had eye problems in the past. I don't know the exact nature of this particular one. Um, and and, and he, it's unfortunate because Rivas, you know, he won the, the newly created Bridgerweight title that the WBC made. And he, he, he won that belt earlier in the year. And he's been they've been trying to line up a defense. They had a lot of problems making a fight for him in his home country of Colombia, even though he's lived and, and fought out of Montreal for uh, his entire professional career. But the fight down there with the local promoter, uh, not with Yvonne Michelle, who's this Canadian, the Canadian promoter, that fell apart. They'd been trying to reschedule. Anyway, when that fight was having problems being made, they decided that they got the permission to do this fight as a non-title fight where he would go up and fight at heavyweight. And now this one blows up, too. So, you know, Oscar Rivas just feels like he's sort of been snake bit a bit over the last uh, year or so. And, uh, you know, hopefully they'll just get a solid guy for a job, but who's, uh, you know, still, you know, uh, uh, 
heavyweight worth watching. He's got the one loss to Frank Sanchez, but that was he just got outboxed on that night. And uh, Sanchez is a good contender in his, in his own right. So uh, Ajagba, 16 and 1, 13 knockouts, former Olympian, big power, big size. And uh, let's see what he can do if they can find him somebody, hopefully, that's solid enough to carry the main event of that upcoming show. Out of the 13 knockouts, I believe it's eight of them in the first round as well. All right. So we'll see what they do for top rank. One final thing on the podcast, and that is Regis Progre who now has the WBC 140-pound title. We thought the next bout would be with Jose Luis Ramirez. It doesn't oh. look like that's going to – or Jose Ramirez, I'm sorry. Uh, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Fill us in on what the latest is, and is Teofimo Lopez now part of this conversation maybe? To answer your second question first, the answer is no. Teofimo Lopez is not part of that equation. He did have the victory a couple of weeks ago against Sandor Martin to become the WBC's mandatory challenger. Now, go back when before Regis Prograde beat Zapata for the vacant WBC title. Josh Taylor vacated. When the title was vacated, the fight that was ordered by the WBC was Jose Ramirez against Zapata. Remember, when Jose was the WBC champion, they had fought once before. It was a very close fight. Some could argue that Zapata should have had his hand raised that night. Jose Ramirez got the victory. He ended up then losing in the unification fight for Undisputed against Josh Taylor. And then Taylor vacated because he was going towards the rematch with Catterall. So the bottom line was the WBC belt became vacant and they ordered Jose Ramirez to fight Zapata for the vacant title. In the end, uh, that, that did not happen. Jose said, I'm getting married. I'm bowing out. I want to take the rest of the year off. So the WBC said, fine. He was going to be the first up for the winner of the new fight that they ordered, which was Zapata versus Regis Progre. Uh, in November, Regis Progre looked tremendous, scored a knockout against Jose Zapata, won that title. And everybody knew, okay, now it's supposed to be Progray against Ramirez. Mm -hmm. The way that five years ago uh, or whatever, four years ago, before Regis entered the tournament, which was the impetus because he couldn't get the Ramirez fight. I want to go through all the minutia. The bottom line was that was a fight that was supposed to happen years ago. Now it looked like it could happen. And everybody was excited about it. If they can make a deal, great. If it goes to a purse bid, so be it. And then out of uh, nowhere, really. Uh, the Jose Ramirez team said, you know what? Nah, we're not going to do that fight because they were unhappy because they weren't going to get uh, sure. 40% of the money, which again, not to be a dick here and no offense to Jose or his manager, Rick Marigian, who's done a great job with him for the most part. But here's the bottom line. You know, going in, when you bail on Zapata at 50-50 and you wait for the winner of Progray versus Zapata, your percentage of a purse bid is going to be reduced. The WBC rules are clear. Yes, they can amend it if they want. They elected not to, and he decided to bail out anyway. So that's on him. So I don't want to hear I'm unhappy about the money. You knew what the situation was going in. You had a 50-50. Right. By the way, when I say what the split is, that's only if it goes to a purse bid. It has nothing to do with if adults get in a room and make a deal. They could have they could have worked that right. fight. I understand. That's a complicated deal. Probellum, which has got Regis Progate, it's like they've got some rich television deal. They could have worked that out somehow, some way to get the deal done. And uh, Ramirez decided not to. So instead, he you know Regis is now... Uh, back to the Tifima Lopez thing, he's the next mandatory, but he just fought the WBC in its ruling. And I don't think the Lopez people want to go near Progray right now after how bad Tifima looked in the last fight. But the bottom line is they said in their ruling that Regis Progray now has the ability to do an optional defense, which is anybody in the top 15 of their rankings. And Ramirez is going to get the ESPN date because he's with top rank. He's going to fight in like, I think it's March 25th, whatever that Saturday is. Okay. And, uh, it's likely that he's going to fight Richard Comey, which is a terrible fight, in my opinion.
And what do we think Progre ends up doing? He can pick Teofimo. He can pick somebody else. We don't know at the moment. They'll figure he won't, it out. He won't pick Teofimo because I don't think that they're going to go for that. So he'll okay. just – his team will go down the ratings, take a look at what's there, um, and and try to pick out uh, right. you know a guy that they can have a solid fight against and Regis can you know make the defense. Yeah, good payday and then see what else payday. is there. You know, and uh, but again, if you look down the 140 pound ratings, a lot of the top guys are occupied with other fights. That's the problem. Right. It's a good, it's a really good weight class, but Catterall and Taylor are out. Lopez probably won't get the fight. Ramirez has removed himself from the equation. He's going to probably fight Comey. Pedraza has got a fight coming up with Barbosa, so they're both out of the picture. Blah blah blah. On and on. You got you know, uh, Sabril Matias and Ponce are fighting for one of the vacant titles. You got uh, you know. Gary Antoine Russell is probably going to fight uh, Pueyo for one of the titles. The point is, I've just eliminated like like nine guys from the 140 pound. <laughs> Most of the top of the division. There's right. not a lot to choose from. Is the so point. you so go if, fight an opponent, you stay busy, you defend your title, you get paid, and then you look to the summer to have a bigger fight against somebody. Hey, hopefully. look at that. We're playing matchmaker right here at the end of uh, of the Christmas weekend edition of the show. We have come to the end. Uh, great discussion on all fronts. Again, we don't have a major fight for this weekend. We will be back next week uh, with a preview of the Ioka Franco uh, title fight that will be going on in Japan next Saturday morning, New Year's Eve morning, uh, eight, nine days from now. We'll have more of a preview of that. We did well for this one. Good stuff with Demetrius Andre. And I know we got to go and wish everybody a happy holiday and a Merry Christmas uh, this weekend. And, uh, and by the same token, I'm headed to Arizona for my, my radio duties with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers NFL team. I don't know about Fight Freaks recap. I mean, because we don't have fights to recap this week, but we'll probably come back with something early next week. You and I love the talks. So we'll probably come back with something. We don't have fights to recap is my point, Rayfield. So we got to okay. get creative on that. On, on and you know what, do. listen, is it the end of the world if like in the holiday season we took a week off? Not the worst we might take a weekend off, but they need to rate us and review us. Because before the end of the year, we're going to give something away and we're coming back with another preview before the year is up. One more show, at least, before the year is up. Stand by for that on the podcast. My friend, have a great holiday weekend uh, with your family. I'm going to do the same truncated with mine before I go to Arizona and when I get back from Arizona. And let's reconvene one more time in 2022 next week after this weekend without much boxing action. But well done for this show. Thank you, sir. You bet, TJ. Yourself have a uh, like you said, have a great uh, holiday for yourself and all that. And to all the listeners, we appreciate yep. every one of them. I hope they all have a great uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, yep. all of it. Festivus for the rest of us. Keep going, folks. Keep following and subscribing. There's many, many, many of you that have found us in 2022 by the thousands and thousands and thousands. Keep it up, peeps. And by the way, there's no fights on Saturday. So as I always say, call your mother. Call your mother especially because it's the holiday weekend. With that, we're good. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. We will be back one more time next week uh, before the year is up. For now, have a great holiday and Christmas weekend from all of us here with uh, the Big Fight Weekend Preview.